Sad girlies and lonely boys, sink into the soft darkness of the crushing void. Cheer yourself up with a candlelit dinner for one. And does this social mask make me look like a functioning member of society? My face hurts from smiling. Oh, uh, it's time to talk tall to me. Welcome back, I am Omen Thomas Sade. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are the Feckless Moans. And this, my little pebbles, is Talk Tall to Me. A solitudinous saunter in the secluded sinkhole of prog rock, in which nobody loves me, Nick, and ostracized Omen, will bore our therapists to tears by describing in great detail, and mostly in chronological order, each and every track that restless rock band Jethro Tull have ever blasted into the yawning abyss. We will stare through the glass into Mark Tucker's safety enclosure, watch Martin Barr buckle under the burden of immense talent, and encourage Doan Perry to use his big boy words rather than pounding out his painful emptiness on a much-abused set of premier artist series maples. And if we can pierce the thick emotional walls that surround each one of us, we may perhaps find a fleeting connection with the musical misanthrope, the pensive percussion enthusiast, the buttoned-up bard, the cold companionless composer, the hermit of the Hebrides, a man so blissfully cut off from the outside world he doesn't have a single opinion about Pete Davidson's dating history, Ian Islandman Anderson. Woo! Oh, that was a, you can cut out as much of that as you want, Nick. I will leave it all in. For the record, do you want to tell us who Mark Tucker is? I would love to tell you that Mark Tucker is the was the mixologist for this album. Yes, he made great cocktails for everybody. Yes, he also he also uh, uh, put the tracks together. He mixed the the it was the live mixer recording for the recording process. Correct. Hence his safety enclosure behind the glass. That glass, yeah. Nice, nice deep cut. Well done. Thanks. Speaking of deep cuts, Nick, do we have any things to discuss before we dive into the song of the week? I don't think so. I've got a good meaty bit of an email for halfway through, but in terms of Rock Island errata, not much. There's not much to go on. What about Rock Island erotica? That we're saving for the final episode. Okay. <laughs> that we've covered in episode one of this album and the last and, episode of this album. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what are we covering this very week here on Talk Tall to Me, Nick? We are on the final track of side A before we flip that vinyl, kids, before we flip the CD, we are talking the titular track of Rock Island. Very exciting. Are we ready to have a listen? You know, they used to make CDs, not terribly common, but they would do CDs with like a different album on either side. Do you remember that? Super rare. I I think it was more often DVDs, maybe, like movies. Are you pulling my leg? No. No, I'm serious. I remember the mini CDs. Do you remember those? Yeah, but that took a special, that wasn't Laserdisc, was it? That took a, a special reader. You couldn't just you pop that in any old machine. Mrs. Archer said I was a special reader. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a listen to Rock Island.
Nick McGill. Omen Said. How long is that song in minutes, in terrestrial minutes? Well, if we're talking about the opening song to the music man called Rock Island, it's only three and a half minutes. <laughs> I didn't know that Jethro Tull wrote that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you know that The Music Man is one of my very favorite musicals? Is it really? Oh, I love it. That oh. whole, that overture is so yeah. genius. What do you talk? What do you listen? What do you talk? What are all oh, on the train? Oh, but you oh gotta know the territory. Look, what do you talk? 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 Where do you get it? What do you talk? You can talk, you can talk, you can bigger, you can talk, you can bigger, 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 you can talk, you can talk, you can talk, 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 bigger, bigger, bigger. You can talk all you want, but it's different than it was. No, it ain't, no, it ain't, but you gotta know the territory. Oh my god, I love it. I love it. That's one of my dream roles. I know I'm not right for the part, but maybe I think in a couple you can years. Very well played, Hank Hill. You got trouble. Right here in River City. The answer is a podcast. <laughs> That's the one with the quartet, right? That has a quartet. That's in the it? one with the quartet. Yeah, I was the bass in that quartet in high school. I bet you were. I was. I bet you were. You son of a gun. <laughs> anyway, the Jethro Tull song that we're talking about is actually twice as long—a scant, short, and curly under seven minutes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I believe that there are several places in the United States called place names called Rock Island. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. I think there's a Rock Island, Iowa. Mm. I believe that's that's why the music man takes a song title from there. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Amazing, amazing sidebar. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing it back to the regular bar, Nick, we've talked about this album is one that we're not, neither of us are as familiar with as, as we are with other albums. Does this song do it for you? Do you get any, any tingles and special in the Prague places? This song makes me want to know this album intimately. That's interesting. So it is the title track. Yes. And we don't know why that is, except that it has the same name as the album. <laughs> the definition <laughs> of title track, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> but with a lot of the other albums, if you look at Heavy Horses, Heavy Horses is the title track, but Heavy Horses is also, in a way, the thesis, or could be viewed as a thesis of the album. Sure. Right, right. Do we feel that this song, Rock Island, could be viewed as a thesis for this album? I certainly think the majority of Tall albums, the title track or the title of the album is the thesis. Looking at most of the songs on this album... They do all kind of have, they have that working man feel to them. They have that, I am off doing my thing, a thing that everybody else does, but I'm the only one who is me doing it. There's a sense of being alone in the midst of everything while everybody else is kind of doing the same thing, but for whatever reason, you're separated from that. You're better than them. You're a foreigner in a strange land. You're worse than them. You're worse than them. You're a fish out of water. You just want someone to kiss Willie. Like any number of things. I think that could be the reason for this being the title track because that sense of aloneness is, is in no way better solidified than, than in Rock Island. Interesting. Yeah, I definitely feel it in Ears of Tin... 
mm-hmm. Rattlesnake Trail. We could discuss Undressed to Kill, you know, if that is a song about loneliness. Yeah. I think in a way, kind of it is. Heavy Water, you know. I do, yeah. Some of them we haven't really gotten to, and so I don't feel confident. Right. So is it, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say, answering my own, my own question, I don't feel confident saying that this is definitively a thesis track. Mm-hmm. But I'm excited to see, as we go through the rest of the album, how those themes resurface in different ways. Yeah, I wouldn't even put this in the category of Aqualung, where it's even just a partial concept. You know, I, I think it's a lot looser than that. Oh, yeah, I agree. I don't think you could call this a concept album without the authorities getting involved. And that's a lot of red tape. I don't want to fill out that paperwork. <laughs> Speaking of concept albums, I think I was telling you about Sex Packets, the phenomenal breakout album of the Digital Underground. Uh, yeah, a couple songs ago. And I was, so I was listening to it again, and it's really funny. I would say it is a concept half of a record, and then there are three other halves of records that are just all their other (laughs) tracks that have nothing to do with the whole sex packet Mm storyline. Anyway, but that's the, that's the most cohesive part of the album. So that's what they went with. There is a very distinct through line with the sex packets story on a number of the songs. And then I think it's like all of their radio singles that they just put on the front end because they were really popular. Oh, interesting. They maybe had some singles before the album came out. Is the full Sex Packets storyline all all together? Can you listen to it start to finish? Or are those are there bits like interspersed? It's mostly all the back end of the album. It's mm. mostly like you have the Humpty Dance, Do What You Like, Gutfest. Well, actually, no, Gutfest, there is a reference to, to the Sex Packets. So there's a little bit of seeding, but then the main kind of thrust, if you will. <laughs> Is on the back end. The thrust is on the back end, yeah. Which is one of the available packets, should you so desire. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. Nick, what do you get musically out of this song? Let's talk about the musical themes and bits. There's a lot to experience here. I think in part, obviously, because it's seven minutes long. But there's also, it's very... It's a very complex sounding crunchy song. We've got multiple layers here. We've got multiple people following multiple through lines. Yes. And we've got a minute long breakdown at like just about three minutes on the nose. The last for about a minute. And then the last minute of the, of the song is breakdown slash fade out. So you could say the song itself, content wise, majority wise, is that five minutes altogether, but we've we've still got quite the roller coaster of slow and mystical and magical. The island kind of looms into view out of the mist at times, and then it gets kind of heavy and not quite angry, but really concerted. Yeah. And then we slow down a little bit and we we experience this flow of emotion. There are a lot of juxtapositions in this track. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of playing with the dynamics of soft and loud. There's a lot of playing with the dynamics of sparse and fecund. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> complex, at least. Yeah. We have a couple of gestures that keep coming back and again, back and back again, which I really, which add to the the consternation and the the feelings of separation and pensiveness that you were describing. One is the baseline. I think that David Pegg is doing incredible work in this song. Mm-hmm. We have some lovely features in one of the breakdowns. At 3.22, thereabouts, we have a really nice David Pegg feature in the midst of that first instrumental. But he has a couple of gestures that are throughout where he goes, dum, 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 dum. And it's so sparse. He's not doing like this big, crazy walking bass line. And I think that sparseness in those moments allows the mind space to fall into the song and really feel that mist and that. Yeah. Those stark spaces. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They definitely know how to play with the textures here. And Peggy just rocks the hell out of this song. And he he also knows, I mean, obviously he's not going to just like rip out a, a solo right there, but still like. He does encompass this, this reserve. Yes, it feels lurking. It's just enough to give yes. you that feeling. It's very ominous. It's very disquieting. Mm-hmm. It feels like no matter what you do, this thing is always here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other fun thing that keeps coming back is this. When everybody loads up, the drums, the flute, the bass, the guitar, on the sun ton 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 bum bum Bam, 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 bam. Like, mm-hmm. so you're you're in that false sense of security, and then you get whammied. Yeah. Whammied. Whammied TM. I thought of an of a new insult for any American football fans. Tell me. I'm going to try this out at work when somebody pisses me off. I'm going to tell them, I just got off the phone with the NFL, and we've agreed to convert all of the football measurements to metric. It's more of a threat than an insult. <laughs> and I think they'll probably look at you as confused as I just did. Can you imagine if, if the announcer said to be, he's at the 30-meter line? Honestly, that is the only way to get the states to transfer over to the metric system is to to get everybody who likes football to have to deal with that. It'll never happen. Because, I mean, they love their numbers. They love their stats and shit, so. Yeah, they could all be metric. That's it. He's yeah. 173 centimeters tall, clocking in at 86 kilos. <laughs> how much is a stone? Do you know how much a stone is? I, I think it's 17 pounds, 12, 12 pounds, 14 pounds, maybe. Strange. Strange unit of measurement. Yeah, stone, I'm I'm X number of stones and I'm X number of hands. That's how I'm gonna write my um write my measurements on the uh, on my my passport. Someday I'll regale you with a time that I used the cubit to measure things. <laughs> it's a lovely farcical story. <laughs> anyway, so this this track is in four four. We've had a theme of four four throughout this album. That's that's the concept. 
of this album. It's 4-4. Four, 4-4 four. <laughs> four, four equals loneliness. Yeah. And this track is no exception. And as far as I can tell, it's all in 4-4. Four, four. But the complexity of this song, the progginess, quote unquote, of this song, comes from, in my opinion, the instrumentation and all the ways, like you said, you expressed it beautifully. And I don't remember what you said, so I will express it in my own way. But it was great, whatever it was. It was so good. <laughs> that the instruments keep trading off. And so it's it's as if you never really know where the next musical gesture is going to come from. Mm, mm -hmm. I experience a sense of doubt when listening to this song because there's no fewer than 100 listens in. I haven't discovered any pattern to let me know, okay, it's the bass and then the flute and then the guitar and then the drums right. and these little gestures. It's all, it's coming from everywhere and you never really know. Yeah, that I think some of that complexity comes from the length of it that it's it's not so bite-sized that you're like oh this is the song i know exactly what's going to happen there's a lot of space for theme and development exactly yeah yeah and that those those changes and textures and things yeah it's a great complex song it's certainly not one that you put on to phase out to it's not a song to just disappear to i think this is not on my baby making playlist it is on your definitely not making babies playlist. It's, it's on my prophylactic list. <laughs> a fun moment, a fun little jewel in this filigree of gold. In the first verse, all roads out of here seem to lead right back. That's the first time when we have the drums and the bass come in fully, and then it pulls back from there. I've gone from here to Paris, London, and riding on a jumbo to Bombay. Peter Vitesse goes yeah. this kind of like orientalized, yeah, strange Middle Easterny sound to it. Yeah, it sounds a little bit like a, a Chinese zither or something. On a jumbo to Bombay. And then he repeats it later on, which I think really saves. Oh saves us from having from being forced to make a critique about orientalism yeah but uh, at about four minutes he does that gesture again also in that line i've gone from here to paris london did you catch where where there's like it's not quite an echo it's just ian like whispering it over the top before it even finishes it it's i've gone to Par paris london london <laughs> I couldn't, I didn't clock that that's what it was, but I did hear something. Yeah, it's just Paris, London. I didn't catch it any other time. He may have done it another time, but I don't think so. There's just a very specific way that he delivers just that line. It's so, there's a lot of breathiness in this song, but that is the breathiest of lines. That's what my internal voice does anytime anyone mentions a designer brand. Anytime anyone is like, oh yeah, I went to Dior. 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 <laughs> In my own head, yeah. Is it Ian's voice though? It's Ian's voice. Dior. 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 <laughs> I think that in this case, it kind of helps with that sense of like, ooh, the foreignness. Ooh. Yeah, right. Almost going to the ears of tin. The, yeah. the attraction of the mainland. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Paris and London aren't super exotic foreign, but there's enough there to be like, ooh, Paris, London. But that's when we get to that jumbo to Bombay, and that's when we get the... Yeah. yeah. Just, I mean, it's so fun. Yeah, it's good. Okay, right at 2.45, our first instrumental, we actually go into a double time. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And it's the same tempo, but it's being played twice as fast. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was Undressed to Kill, I think. I think it was right around there. Yeah. I think it was. I think it was just the most recent one that we really great example, a fun little bit. Mm-hmm. And then interestingly, when they do the the second instrumental, it's slower. That second instrumental is amazing. I was noticing that Martin has stayed pretty much in the background for a lot of the song. Mm-hmm. Not entirely, but then with that when that second instrumental hits, he starts, it's so, there's so much overdrive. His guitar is so scaly and slimy. It is so cold-blooded that people have questioned the maternal instincts of his playing. Wow. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you. Everybody shines here at certain times. Even the flute doesn't come out and say, like, this is the main feature of this song. We get a lot of flute. But it's not, it's not like, oh, this is clearly a flute song. But when Martin first comes in and we get those like twings and twangs and, and stings. Very twangy. That puts me immediately into Catfish. Again, this is another one of those, those stepping stones yeah. where we go from Crest to Rock Island into Catfish. And it's that sound progression makes sense to me. That's interesting. Yeah, I see that. This is in the era when Ian has gotten... I feel like Ian's flute playing goes in different eras, to use a Taylor Swift term. And, you know, in the Don't, very beginning- Never, never again. Of the, in the very beginning of the band. You get one every 260 episodes. You've used it. <laughs> I really think we should do uh, a effectless episode of Talk Taylor to Me, where we do one Taylor Swift song, and we do it exactly in this format. I love it. I think that's a great idea. I think we should absolutely do it. Subscribe to the Patreon to get access to that. Or- or we ooh. release it to the world and all of the Taylor fans are like, oh, this <gasps> prog rock's pretty dope, actually. What are they called? Swifties. Swifties. All yeah. the Swifties. Yeah. They'll be called Tullies. Momies. Momies. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. After after Talk Tell to Me is done, we need we need to call our, our fans something. And I think Momies is it's up there on the list. It's only on the list because there's nothing else on the list, but boy, <laughs> it's up there. It's up there. Imagine if we recorded an episode of Talk Tell to Me in a big stadium with everyone like, ah! I would love that. It's either Momies or Feckies, and neither really sits right for me. They're both <laughs> terrible. So Ian's flute playing goes in various stages. You know, the very beginning back in the 1970s, early, you know, early, early on, it's very rough. It's very, you know, he doesn't even really know how to play the flute. Yeah. And then it gets more refined as he actually learns how to play his instrument. Right. And now... We're going into an era where he is bringing back a little bit of that stank. He gets he puts some stank on the flute with this song. Yeah, now that he's like really comfortable with it in both methods, in both forms, like now he can really blend them. And then later on, jtel.com, we get back, uh, Rupee's Dance, we get back into that more pure yeah. instrumentalist sounding stuff. And then as of recently with Rock Flute and... Gene, we get a little bit more of the blend again. So it's it's really yeah. interesting how it kind of goes up and down. Yeah, that's a really good note. I wonder if if it's just his, the progression of his 
just how interested he is in that sound. But like, I'm kind of bored with this, so let's move into this sound, you know? Or is it just like, well, this album as a whole represents this sound. So on a grander scale, the album goes from, the progression of the albums goes from like stank and dirty to kind of come up out of the morass and be a bit cleaner. And then you, you get kind of that undulation of the Loch Ness Monster there. Probably a bit of both. Nice Scottish reference. Mm -hmm. But I'm thinking of, you know, if you compare this to Raft of Penguins. Clean. Crisp. So clean, you could do surgery on that flute playing. You could take a line of coke off of that flute. And I have. <laughs> oh, Nick, welcome to the main floor. Welcome to the main stage. Good save. <laughs> In this corner, it's Nick McGill who has an email. That is right. We have ourselves a return writer inner. Oh my goodness. This is from none other than Aldis Potier. Oh, the Potier plots. It's been so long. I'm plotting over Aldis Potier right now. This is a bit lengthy or a bit girthy, if you will. Normally I would pick and choose snippets here, but this is just a really good email. So we'll get through it. We'll get through it. We've got time. I'm going to sit back and relax. Relax. From Aldis Potier, this is titled, the subject is Not Lip Service. This came in five days ago, so it would have been after Kissing Willie dropped. <laughs> LOL. LOL. Dear Momes, I've just finished listening to your Kissing Willie episode, and I was moved to write for three reasons. You spent some time on the ridiculously funny music video. I agree that they are very much taking the piss and poking fun at the obviously obvious and transparent sexual reference. Very Python-esque, and a bit of a callback to the wacky days of the St. Cleve Chronicle and Linwell Advertiser. Yeah, hmm. it's a good reference. Secondly, Omen just dropped a truth bomb that I'm concerned too many of your listeners and viewers may have missed. Yes, Omen, Buster Keaton is way funnier than Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for speaking the truth. Can I interject there? Please do. I prefer Charlie Chaplin. If I'm going to sit down and watch a silent film, I would rather watch Charlie Chaplin because he is so much more of an incredible documentarian of the age. He is, he, like Taylor Swift, made sure that he owned everything vertically, horizontally that he touched. Buster Keaton was more of just a talent and died penniless despite Chaplin's best efforts to intervene and teach him business. But Charlie Chaplin is not really a comic, per se. He's a clown. Mm. He's what they call the pathetic clown, the, the clown of pathos. Right. I could talk at length about this, and I will not. Maybe we'll do a feckless on Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton. That could be very interesting. Maybe. She chapped my Charlie till I busted a Keaton. Carrying on. Finally, I had to congratulate you on your extremely long game. It wasn't until this episode and your sly release of a certain review definitely not written by Nick or Omen that I realized you've had a three-year plan to get us all listening to the talk tall to me just so you could talk about this song and make a record number of gay jokes. <laughs> <laughs> this episode was really the tip of the iceberg? 
it doesn't seem right. It's certainly the tip of something, and you give it to your listeners every time. That's right. You never gave your listeners the shaft. No glancing blow for you, lads. Even if I had to live in a penile colony to listen to your show, I'd do gladly. I must applaud your perseverance and commitment to the bit. Oh, no. It's been quite some time since I've written. Since you detoured into the zealot gene and Roqueflute, I haven't mm. been able to add anything to your excellent commentary. You know as much as I about these new albums, more thanks to your inside info, courtesy of your friend and correspondent, JDA. JDA, friend of the pod, thank you. Friend of the pod. These past few months have given me an even greater appreciation for your podcast, and I'm not even gay. Hmm. <laughs> Now that you're going forward into the past, I think I can add something to your discourse, though not to your discord, as I just don't. Rock Island is one of the most maligned tall albums, but I love it. I once took a van load of students to an Amnesty International conference in Chicago, and at one point I made them, yes, made them, listen to the relatively new album Rock Island. Oh no. They hated it. They informed me that it was bad music and that I should be listening to Nine Inch Nails or Richard Thompson instead. Not Oof. that there's anything wrong with that. I still had friends in radio, and one of them told me of the reaction of one of their young interns to news that I was going to see Jethro Tull in concert. Oh, we call them Jethro Dull. Ha, ha, ha. Slow clap. So, by 1989, Jethro Tull was firmly placed in the dinosaur camp. Me, dinosaur? Wow. By most people in the hipster music scene. Even many fans found the album a bit predictable or pedestrian. I, on the other hand, really like this album. Mm. Kissing Willie and Rattlesnake Trail may not be the most inspired works the band has created, but they're good fun, and Whaler's Dues is strong. Ears of Tin and Strange Avenues are some of my absolute favorite songs. The break in Ears of Tin has an irresistible driving rhythm, and the intro to Strange Avenues is some of the band's most atmospheric, emotionally powerful music. This was the first album I knew was coming out ahead of time, as I had subscribed to A New Day, and was up on what passed as the latest Tall News. It was also the first time I did not buy a Tall album on vinyl. Wow. This album represented the height of my Tall concert-going life, as I saw them in a 20,000-seat arena one night, and then about a week later in the third row of a 3,500-seat auditorium. Wow. So I have a real soft spot for this album, even if experts don't think it's the best. Other tidbits. Regarding the Kissing Willie video, you should know that there was a rise, ahem, in 18th century drama farce around that time with the release oh. of Dangerous Liaisons, Glenn Close oh. and John Malkovich in 1988, and Valmont, Colin Firth and Annette Bening in 1989. In fact, the uh. one time I saw the video on MTV, one of the VJs introduced the video as in the style of Velmont, complete with silly French accent. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It really does, yeah. Martin Alcock was a multi-instrumentalist. He was in Fairport Convention when they opened for Tall on the Crest of a Nave tour. He played keyboards, but also mandolin, guitar, violin, and probably several other instruments. In a 1989 interview in A New Day, he said he played anything you didn't have to hit or blow into. Omen mentioned getting an American vibe from this period of Tull. With songs like Farm on the Freeway and Rattlesnake Trail, he's not wrong. Check out some of the pictures of the band from that era. You'll get a decidedly Western vibe. Peggy was really coming into his own in the band. He finally had a drummer he could work with consistently, and being in Tull seemed to agree with him. In the promotional photos for the album, he was looking tanned and fit and a bit daring in his Aussie bush hat. 
My girlfriend, who had already been to the 20th anniversary tour with me, has been to more than a few shows since we married, and is about as much of a fan as Nick's wife, looked at the group picture in the program, <laughs> and was surprised to see such a good-looking man in Jethro Tull. Who knew? <laughs> Well, that's all for now. I'm enjoying the show more than ever. Keep up the good work and don't let those two-star reviews get you down. All the best, Eldis. Eldis Pote, thank you so much for your writings. It's great to hear from you. Great to hear that you used your captive audience on the way to Chicago to play this album, too. Uh, so I was, I was in upstate New York this past couple of weeks visiting family and my dad and I decided to escape family and go to the local watering hole, which had not that many people in it. A couple of bar flies, the, the bar staff, we were there having a burger and a beer. And I decided to check out the jukebox in the joint and discovered to my surprise that there was quite a lot of Jethro Tull. It's a, you know, it's connected to the cloud these days, so it doesn't have to be physically in there. But mm. I found this album on there and I played Kissing Willie, Hunting Girl, what else? I was a little bit drunk at the time, so I don't remember what else I... I got a series of texts from you. A barrage. I have never taken such delight in watching the locals hate the music coming out of the jukebox. I couldn't have gotten a better reaction if I had played Oops, I Did It Again. Okay, let me see. The jukebox at the local bar in Mexico, New York, had a kissing willy. I'm blasting it loud. The locals hate it. <laughs> You played, I recommended something from Benefit, like Michael Collins. I think you played Hunting Girl and Sea Lion. Sea Lion, that was it. I re recommended all of Thick as a Brick, but they broke it up into different songs, the jerks. Right, right. But you played Pussy Willow, you played Fires at Midnight, and Fat Man. Oh, right. And I think that's where it ended. Anyway, you know, I think, El Dispotier, that there is a common experience for tall fans in other people hating the music that you love. And I think that we make the most of it somehow. It's sort of, it's almost a rite of passage. You gain a certain, maybe not pleasure, but sense of identity out of other people saying, what the hell is this? How can you possibly listen to this music? What is it that John Decker used to say as the evil sheriff when people booed him? Your anger only makes me Your stronger. Your hatred makes me stronger. <laughs> yes. I think that's a quote from Star Trek, uh, from Star Wars. I think it's a That feels right. Yeah. Yeah. And that feels very apt for tall fans too, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, you don't like this music? I'm going to just listen to it even more. That makes me enjoy it even more. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Eldest Potier. Thank you, Nick, for your epic reading thereof. And we will keep the content coming. Here we are, Omen. Second half, we have got one, two, three, four, five. We've got six verses to discuss. Let's talk the lyrics of Rock Island here. Let's do talk that. Just going back briefly to the blurb in Silent Singing... Ian says, mm, yes, the title track alludes to a remote factitious land where loneliness and isolation are loosely explored. So, I mean, nice of the, the man himself to just give us the themes off the bat. Right. That checks out. It sounds right. It's interesting that this, the island in question does seem to have a very amorphous quality to it. It's really hard to nail down. At some points in the song, it seems very solid. In some points in the song, it feels completely like a mirage. I think everybody has 
their own rock island. So whether it's an actual physical place or a person of comfort or a spot where- Or a mental state. Yeah, yeah, where you feel alone and comfortable or alone and uncomfortable. So there's an interesting concept in Stoicism called the inner citadel. Mm, yes, I've heard of that. And the idea is that this is where Stoicism really differs from Buddhism. Because in Buddhism, you would say, oh, you get to the center of yourself and you realize there's nothing there. <laughs> it's just <laughs> completely empty. So bleak. The Stoics say, oh, you know, if you get to the center of yourself, that's where your inner strength, your inner citadel is, and the rest of the world can be as crazy as, and people can, you know, smash you down as, as much as they want, but they'll never touch that indestructible part of the inside of you. And that's what you make strong. So this has a vibrancy with that concept, this song does, but it's not really the same. Yeah. Because the inner citadel is a place of strength where you can return to when you need to re-empower yourself. This almost feels like no matter where you go, no matter how hard you try, you get sucked back into this spot and you find yourself in this, in this trap. Yeah, I'm not sold on whether it's good or bad yet. And there may be no value judgment in the song. Yeah. Savage night on a misty island, lights wink out in the canyon walls. Two old boys in a stolen racer, black rubber contrails in the unwashed halls. Savage night on a misty island, lights wink out in the canyon walls. Two old boys in a stolen race, black rubber contrails in the unwashed halls. Already we're mixing metaphors. Mm. Okay, an island could have canyon walls, sure. Is it a racing boat? Is it a racing car? Why is the vehicle inside of a structure that has walls? And halls. And halls? All roads out of here seem to lead right back to the Rock Island, Rock Island. And all roads out of here seem to lead right back to the Rock Island. So the canyon walls, to me, are the steep canyon walls of a city where you're walking down the road and it's just straight lines up and that's when you see the lights winking out. That makes a lot of sense. This is telling us Obviously, Savage Night is the first two words here, but this is getting to a point in time, just in this narrator, this narrator's point of view here, where people are going to bed, where things are shutting down. So it's that late. There is a theme well established in art and experience, which is that life in the city can seem more lonely than life in an unpopulated area. Yeah, because of that anonymity. That was Ears of Tin. Didn't we kind of touch on that in Ears of Tin, I think? We certainly did. Yeah. But even, I mean, it's a, going back to Charlie Chaplin, you know, one of the central premises of the character of the tramp is that he has this figure of isolation in a busy world. Mm -hmm. You know, I almost feel like this is just setting the scene. You know, the, the two old boys in the stolen racer, you have this kind of mist, you have this silence, and then you have that yeah. of something speeding past you to remind you, you aren't even the main character in this space. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it really does give us that visual there. I've gone from here to Paris, Paris, London, London, London. 
and riding on a jumbo to Bombay, the long haul back holds faint attraction, but the people here know they're okay. Come from here to Paris, London, even riding on a jumbo to Bombay. The long haul back holds faint attraction, but the people here know they're okay. So is it that the people here on the Rock Island know that they're okay, know that they're safe, mm-hmm. and the, the long haul back to those exotic places holds faint attraction? I thought it was the long haul back to the Rock Island holds a faint attraction. But the people here know they're okay. And here it has to be the Rock Island because that's where we've established that he is. Maybe the there is Paris, London, and Bombay, not the people themselves. The people here know that Paris, London, and Bombay are okay. They're okay. Interesting. But we come back here. We come back with this long haul. The way that it's worded leaves room for ambiguity, and I think that that is probably intentional. But I think the idea, regardless, is, yes, there are all these amazing places, but this is where we keep returning to, this Rock Island, whether this is a physical place or whether this is an emotional state. Mm Mm-hmm. See the girl following the red balloon walking all alone on her rock island, rock island. See the girl following the red balloon walking all alone on her rock island. So that is the first indication that we get that this is a personal experience. Yeah. I'm here on my rock island. Oh, I see her following her red balloon, whether it's a literal red balloon, which is, I believe, a reference to the film, the Girl on the Red Balloon? Mm. Or just the Red Balloon? I was thinking from it, but yeah, that's probably more likely. Yeah, so the Red Balloon released in 1956, short film about a little boy who discovers a red helium balloon that floats through Paris and kind of has a will of its own. It's a bit absurdist, bit non-narrative, but ultimately is a message of hope. The Red Balloon represents kind of this image of lightness and hope in post-war Paris. So this could be a reference to that, but... Regardless, the red balloon is something that she's following, and that is her rock island. Mm -hmm. She's in her, it could be Pussy Willow. Yeah, right. Engaged in her own fantasy. That's her rock island, the place that she always returns to. Mm -hmm. Still, this to me, it's not definitive. It could have like a negative quote unquote connotation, but it does feel... Like you said, there's that hope there. She's following this. She's going back to it. So there's a sense of comfort there. Yes. Or at least attraction. Right. Sure. She's attracted to that state of being. Mm-hmm. Doesn't everyone have their own rock island, their own little patch of sand where the slow waves crawl and your angels fall and you find you can hardly stand and just as you're drowning, well, the tide goes down. You're back on your rock island. Doesn't everyone have their own rock island? Their own little batch of sand? Where the snow waves call and your angels call And you find you can hardly stand Just as you drop the wood, the tide goes down You're back on your rock island Rock island So this is really interesting. This whole song is full of contradictions almost. Yeah. This is saying, doesn't everyone have their own little patch of sand where, oh my God, the waves are coming up and you lose your angels and now you're drowning because the water and then suddenly the tide goes out and you are there on your rock island. So it's like, 
it's really hard to understand what he's saying. Is it that this is the place that you always wash up? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. No matter what shit you go through, you're always going to come back to this kind of baseline zero of, okay, yeah, pick yourself up, brush yourself off, get the kelp out of your hair, spit up some seawater, and get rolling again. Get off, I mean, I guess get off the rock island, right? Like, is it ultimately the goal to get off the rock island or to at least traverse away from it for a time? Or not, or stay there. I guess, yeah. What I gather out of this is that you can get there by will or you can get there by accident. But you're always going to be there. You're always going to return there, no matter where else you go. Or you're going to always end up there, yeah. Yeah. Also, their own little patch of sand does create the idea that perhaps this is a physical space. Where is your happy spot? Right. Where is that one spot that you will always feel safe? Yeah. People in difficult situations will sometimes create a space, even if it's really small, that they have control over. Mm -hmm. Like a cupboard under the stairs, like Harry Potter. (laughs) Well, yeah. Or a garden or, or a notebook. Sure, yeah. Or a fantasy. Pussy Willow. Why not? I mean, but this is this is something that we all do. Uh, I'm thinking of, do you remember the movie Labyrinth? Yeah. That was all based on a real case where this girl had created this, this really complex. Really? Mythological landscape in her mind. And she kept retreating there and they kept trying to like wow. bring her out of it. Holy cow. I didn't know that. Yeah. It was really quite interesting. And, and eventually in the, I forget the way that they ended up doing it, but they basically had to show her that she could be safe and be herself on the outside Mm, of that environment, which I I think she didn't, she didn't feel. Yeah. Interesting. So that was her rock Island is, is what we're going for. Yeah. In an extreme sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that kind of feels apt for the next verse that we're going to. Hey, that girly with the torn dress shaking, who was it touched you? Who was it ruined your day? Woof. Hey, that girly with the torn dress shaking. Who was it touched you? Who was it ruined your day? Going back to the idea of the, what's the first word? Savage night on a misty island. Yeah. A savage night in this city. You can see all kinds of things. Right. Yeah. It's raw. It's realistic. Our rock island is... One girl following her red balloon of hope and comfort and gravity. And then the next girl we see is one who has been molested in some form. Or that's his read on it. I mean, the other kind of interesting thing that that I'm getting out out of this is that if you're walking in the city, you see a thousand different people. You see a thousand different realities. Yeah, you don't know their stories. You're interpreting based on what you have to go off of. This reminds me a little bit of the Dire Straits song, Making Movies. Hmm. Yeah. We talked about that a while ago. I don't remember what that was. About the girl who's rollerblading or roller skating through the city and listening to a CD player or a Walkman of some kind. Mm-hmm. And she's making movies to go along with the songs. Yeah. So in a way, that could be her rock island. That's her created reality. And maybe maybe the rock island is is your own perception of the world in a way that is comforting to you, whether that's mm-hmm. negative, positive, heroic, pathetic, whatever. Right. Whose footprint, calling card, and what they want stepping on your beach anyway? Whose footprint, calling card, what they want stepping on your beach anyway? 
that ties back to the who was it ruined your day. So someone intruded upon her reality. So whether or not it was a physical assault, somebody broke into her, disrupted her created perception of the world. Right. Stepping on your beach refers back to that little patch of sand, your own little patch of sand. They intruded on that. I'll be your life raft out here, but you'd only drift back to your rock island. Wow. But be a life raft out of here, but you'd only drift right back to your rock island. That's a really interesting line that like you could reach out to someone, but what's the point? Mm. It's a bit depressing. It's a bit nihilistic, almost. It could feel that way, certainly. But I also think that there is a truth there being expressed, which is if someone is deeply committed to their version of reality, no matter how much you work to change that for them, it's their version of reality. It is only when they change their own perception of reality that their reality changes. Not to say that you can't in some way share a rock island with someone. Sure. But if you're a lifeboat, they're going to go back to their island. Right. It's that idea of like saving, of fixing somebody, saving somebody. Right, 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 right. You know, this could almost be a song about mental illness. I mean, this is the amazing thing about the song is it is so, as Ian says, loosely, the themes are so loosely explored. Yeah. You could apply anything to this. It does make me think of, you know, some of my experiences with depression where it's like, oh yeah, no matter what, okay, I'm doing great. I'm doing whatever. Oh, and I'm always going to go back to this, <laughs> to this, yeah. this rock island. Yeah. But here it makes it sound a bit glamorous. A little bit, yeah. Hey boy with the personal stereo, nothing between the ears but that hard rock sound. Playing to your empty room, empty guitar tune. No use waiting for that CBS to come around. Hey boy with the personal stereo, nothing between the ears but that hard rock sound. What's your read on CBS there? CBS is a broadcast. Right, but what's the CBS to come around? I think the idea is you have a fantasy of becoming a rock guitar person. Oh, okay. And then like you get an interview with the news or something like that. Okay. Yeah, you're sitting in your room imagining playing the guitar and thinking, yeah, one of these days I'm going to get a big contract. Really? How? Yeah. You right. don't even have a, you're not even playing right, a real yeah. guitar <laughs> and you're in your room. Yeah. yeah you're, you're air guitaring to the song rock Island. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that line is to us. Oh no. <laughs> oh, Ian, you dastardly man. But that's that person's rock Island is that fantasy. Sure. Right. And then we repeat that verse again. Doesn't everyone have their own rock island, their own little patch of sand with the slowly raves, with the slow raves crawl. <laughs> and your angels fall and you find you can hardly stand. And just as you're drowning while well, the tide goes down and you're back on your rock island. And that's it. That's the button. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think it's as complex as the music itself. It's been a while since we've had one of these tracks where it really strained us to come up with a definitive interpretation. A lot of the tracks in the past couple of albums have been pretty much like, well, this is what it's about. Okay. Fairly straightforward. Yeah. Within the tolerance of 10%. Right. Of course. Naturally. But yeah, this one is so 
so open to interpretation that I think it could be about so many things. Beyond what we even discussed in, in terms of potential meaning, there's so much more. I mean, just dig in a, a couple different ways and, and stress this word versus this word, and you've got all sorts you can pull in this. It reminds me of in an abusive relationship where somebody's like, I'm going to leave you once and for all. The other person says, oh, I know you're going to come crawling back to me. That's a version of that rock island. Right, Yeah or drug use or alcoholism. I mean, anything. Right. I can think of a lot of negative implications. Yeah, right. My rock island is playing with my kittens. You know, Animal Crossing actually <laughs> is kind of a good, you know, kind of fits in with this. It literally is an island. Yeah, fair enough. We can always come back to and like rearrange your flowers. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think we'll talk about this. We'll certainly talk about this come... The second to last episode of Big Riff and Mando, which we always talk about the album art. So we'll we'll talk about the rock island aspect of that art and also the idea of rock, rock and roll. So there's, I think there is obviously a play on that as well. The rock and roll. <laughs> yes. Hmm. Hmm. If there was a positive connotation to this, what would it be, Nick? I think we hit it in, in terms of there always being that safe zone, you know, that safe spot, whether it's strictly mental or you also have like that physical space where you know you can feel safe and therefore be feel mentally comfortable as well. You know, I think there is that idea of when you acknowledge that everybody has their own rock island, maybe then once you realize that you have a little more power over it and you can... Mm. You can grow the footprint Ooh. of beyond just that, what is it, that little patch of sand. I love that. That's so, that's such a great theory. Yes. If we. It's kind of empowering. Yes. Oh, I love that. Everyone has their own rock island, but mine's better. <laughs> no, I'm, that's not good. <laughs> no, 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 I, I'm joking. But everyone has their own rock island. And if you realize it, you can make that a place of strength rather than a place of retreat. Yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Stamp. Done. Approved. Top three favorite physical spaces that are comforting for you. Geralt, one of our cats, has taken to laying down on my legs when we go to bed. This cat is the cat that loves life the most like he won't just like i'll just sit down like he throws himself okay and it okay, just yeah. luxuriates and it's just such a comforting presence i suppose it's the same concept as like a, a weighted blanket you know it's more than that because it's a it's like a living animal who has chosen to lay there that's really nice yeah holding rook in my arms back when he was like teeny tiny and we were like we're comforting him you, you kind of get into this like you're holding this infant and you rock rock island back and forth a little bit I still fall into that and it's just like dopamine and endorphins and it's just so comforting to both of us. It's a source of power. Yeah, I, I, I know I could kill him with just one. <laughs> oh, it does. <laughs> Good grief. Now I have you now, Mr. Bond. Well, yes, but let me first hold this small child. <laughs> no! <laughs> and Raven rubbing my back or playing with my hair. Just instant like wow. I'm in a happy place. Yeah. God, nice. What's yours? Sunroom yoga mat. Nice. That's the name of the strip club, right? Yeah. <laughs> For a long time, it was my it was my vehicle, my truck. That mm, was my rock island. Yeah. 
that was my inner sanctum. Yeah. And the cabin. Yeah. Where my dad lives. Yeah. I don't know if, if he lives in the cabin or the cabin lives around him. It's not clear. The cabin is an extension of his will. Yeah. We just watched Howl's Moving Castle the other day for the first time in like eons. Oh, wow. When Calcifer gets pulled out of the castle, it just just crumbles. It just falls apart. I imagine that when your right. dad leaves, like it's just so close to just falling apart. Oh, yeah. I think you're not far <laughs> off. <laughs> Nick, what are we talking about next week here on the podcast? Next week, we are going to flip that vinyl and we're going to listen to track number six. It is lead-lined. It is Heavy water. I'm so excited about that one, Nick. Pretty rocking. Until next week. Hey, girly, is that a torn dress? Maybe you should get a new item of clothing. For instance, a branded Talk Tall to Me t-shirt from our Tee Public page now in tie-dye. <laughs> All right, Matt Berry. Who was it that ruined your day? Pop on into our Discord and let us know. You can get into that Discord as well as access to two additional monthly podcasts by subscribing to our Patreon for just $5 a month. And for $10 on top of that, you can get access to our video podcasts and look at us beautiful boys talking to you. Don't wink your lights out in the canyon walls. Wink them on. All of them. All five of them. Give us a five-window wink rating on your pod platform that you use, which is probably Apple or Spotify. Until next week, I'm your own little patch of sand. I'm Nick McGill. I just got back from Paris, Paris. Omen Thomas said, All roads lead to us, the feckless momes. And we're playing in an empty room. We're Talk Tall to Me. I am so sad. I have not had my pain of chocolate in so long. I am hungry and I need sugar and my family is missing. Oh, little French boy, you see me floating up here. Oh. Oh, balloon Rouge, look at you. You're so beautiful. Oh, look how I can float. You can almost grab my string. I think I'm going to try. Oh, just out of reach. Oh. <laughs> oh, you are sassy. I'm going to the town. Come with me, little French boy. I will follow you. You are my only source of happiness. Yes, because of the war. Oh, look out for the bombed out ruins. Everything is in black and white except you, Balloon. That is right, and it may be because of the drugs. <laughs> I did eat something very mysterious. Uh, that was a bad fromage, as we say. <laughs> <laughs> is it an hallucination? Peut-être. It is not normal, but you can come with me up into the red light district. <laughs> oh, more red. I love it. Where will you lead me next, yes. Balloon? Bring me to happiness. Oh, yes. Some call it happiness down this alleyway. Oh, I am very, very intrigued to see happiness. 
Here it is, the happiness for you. Aha. It looks like a gang of violent criminals. Oh, but they have smiles on their faces, so I will be fine. You will be their newest enfant soldier. <laughs> oh, I finally have people who accept me. Le ballon rouge says, do the crimes. Whoa. <laughs> Break a window. Merci, balloon, merci. Steal a baguette. <laughs> Now I can eat! Do a graffiti! And now, oh, my helium is leaving me. I have one. Oh. One final request to make of you, little French boy. I shall miss you, Balloon. Yes, but the spirit of the Balloon is inside your heart forever. Also because you, uh, you you ate some of the helium and you have helium poisoning in your blood. Oui, oui, that is a thing, yeah. <laughs> yes, totally. <laughs> I'm a scientist. But listen, before I dissipate or float off on the breeze... I have something important to tell you. Oh, do tell, do tell. The most criminal thing you can do. You will be the envy of all the other street boy criminals. Uh, I shall rule with an iron fist. Yes, yes, you must, you must listen to the hardest, most despicable podcast in the world, outlawed in two countries. Oh, this American life? So close, so close. Oh, ooh, Science Friday? Oh, it is despicable, but the one I talk about is in the from the lowest realms of bad behavior. Please, please do not leave me waiting any longer, Balloon. Please tell me, tell me what I will listen to. I shall tell you as I float close to this inside-out pin cushion. It is called a toctal to me, which as you will find out, little French boy. It is a proud member of the Fegless Mom's audio network. I guess I will just have to listen to find that out. I'm still alive. Oh, I just. Oh.